There she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa, she's ready to go to the stars. This is the 300th episode of the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. Its mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host... This is Bruce, loving sweetie Stomper. This is John, Moonlight Minty Slasher. This is Blix, Prancing Cupcake Death. And this is Trav, Rainbow Sweetie Slasher. And this is Rich, Rainbow Minty Bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Tri-Tac Games Podcast. Your podcast... Of bringing pretty, pretty ponies to the world as everybody wants. But making them into horrible homicidal maniacs. Ah. You're going to die, Wilbur. (laughs) This week we are reviewing Richard's game, Murder Hoof. Which, you know, is a parody of the uh, My Little Pony genre or... Uh, a, a title or intellectual property, whatever we're going to say. But it's a parody, so it's okay. But see, uh, apparently the uh, the biggest issues with the ponies is is, is their their own internal reaction uh, relations with each other. Apparently, not everything is 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 cupcakes and lollipops in the, in pony society because apparently there's a bunch of pony quirks and pony social issues. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pony quirks. Friendly. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, don't play with your food. But, you know, I've seen so many things where they they, they, they seem to, like, play around with the humans or whatever. And some people are like, you don't play with it. You just eat it. It's not what you're doing. That's nasty. You know, just. Hey, there's that 4% chance of the pacifist pony. Right. Right. The pacifist pony. The growing resistance. After a year, humanity has proved a worthy foe, and a few of the ponies are sick and tired of the war. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 it reminds me of uh, some of the military campaigns started by this country. <laughs> no, you know what happened? Those are the ponies that, that find uh, the marijuana you know, the marijuana facilities. They're like, hey, man, why do we have to kill everything? Can't we just, like, you know, just be? Yeah. No, no. It, it was even better than that. They discover, you know, human alfalfa. Trouble is oh. they can't grow it themselves. Right, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, there's any number of human vices that the ponies may not have discovered yet. Dude, they got apples that don't taste, they aren't sour. You know. Horse tranks. Horse tranquilizers, yeah. Wow, I do man. like Check out this uh, stuff. What is it called? Uh, uh, ke- ketamine? Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, maybe they listen to Olivia Newton-John and just and all the fight goes out of them. 
Oh, you know, okay. And that's a reference back to your to your Mars Attacks, where they had that one song that they just couldn't stand. Oh, yeah, oh, was the, head, the heads exploded. Slim? Yes. Uh, who is it? Slim? Was it Slim Pickens? No. no Slim. When I'm calling you, yeah. Yeah. I do notice under Pony Quirks that half of them are hesitant. But then I look at tactics and they go, how does that correspond with tactics that they, where they attack on site? It's like, that isn't hesitant. Well, that, these are those who have quirks. Not everybody has a quirk. And the social issues, some of them are disliked. Some of them had bad personal hygiene. <laughs> I guess they just go wherever they want to, yeah. And some are just kind of stupid. Yeah, some of them are just kind of stupid. Gimpy. <laughs> And so, yeah, so apparently they don't, uh, because they're pretty ponies, uh, some of them don't, uh, don't like, to, they basically uh, look down on their, uh, I don't know whether it's because if you got hurt, that meant you weren't a very good fighter, or whether they just have an aesthetic that if you get hurt, you get scars and stuff like that, then you just, you know, are a second class pony. I don't know. Well, okay, a little thing about the, the veteran pony picture when you look at it. Uh, that pony is a cyborg. Yeah, it's not yeah, even it's fun. like it's got mechanical legs, yeah. And and some of them had like, you know, razor-tipped wings and such, so that could be either built in as part of their bodies or it could be, uh, you know, uh, an, uh, an appliance. Most of them, if they have bunnies, uh, buddies, they're rats. So they're, they're buddies with the rats. For the most part, <laughs> they like the rats. Yeah, yeah. and there's a four percent chance that one will, will 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 actually might actually feed you if you're a brony. So, so do, do we have these situations where you've got a pony, you know, with a rat sitting sitting on his head, you know, saying that way, boss? <laughs> oh, I wish Jay was here. That way, boss, I smell cheese. <laughs> I don't like cheese. Not bad. Most, most rodents are actually lactose intolerant. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they like peanut butter. They're tremendously omnivorous. Yeah. I can add one thing here. After heart surgery, I watched Ratatouille 27 times. It was the only thing available. That's amazing, Richard. And you're still sane. What, I love what, whoa, 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 okay. <laughs> Let's not get crazy not here, John. <laughs> uh, yes, you have to start off sane to remain sane, John. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, you're right. You had to assume that he was sane going in. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I, I question anybody's sanity who watches Ratatouille 27 times. <laughs> like, I do like the fact that when they start developing resistance, they they go from five percent, no, four percent pacifist to twenty five percent pacifist. They start a lot of them start becoming don't want to fight, and you get the cowards, and most of them just want to go home. They're sick and tired of this, you know, of this horse flop. Right. The problem is, is that you know the most gung ho of them are the ones who are able to open the portals. So that's that's a problem. 
if you look at the pictures, because I, I made sure not to actually include any in the pictures I created, but I have to assume that we have, you know, we have uh, unicorns and we have Pegasus and we have, you know, uh, but there, the, the, uh, there probably are, you know, normal ponies too, normal murder hosts with no with no horn, no horns. But are there alicorn um, pon- uh, murder hoofs that have both horns, wings? Together, which is you know, if you, if, you, if you, yeah, I want those would be I would imagine the bosses. They're the people in charge because they got more stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just wondering what your reasoning was there. Well, I'm following. Okay, you know, following from 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 the, the place where this came from. Uh, alicorns are unique and special in in the, in the My Little Pony universe. So alicorns, murder hoof alicorns would probably be the ones in charge. They're the ones who are actually doing this attack. Hey, John, it's time to fight the aliarchy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since you brought up the the source from which this is a parody, okay, are there there any elements in here that are specifically parodies of something in the pony universe? I mean, do they have buddy, little, little animal buddies in the, in the pony universe too? Oh, oh yes! It's actually a given that every pony has a pet of some sort, if not more. You know, but they all have a signature pet. So you know, I can actually see you know if if you don't roll anything, you roll a buddy. You'll probably be a rat, but you'll have a buddy. Fair enough. And of course, you know, like and as we know from champions and such, you know, a dependent. Um, uh, a dependent NPC really makes things complicated. Oh yeah, because mm-hmm. you notice none of those pony buddies are bunnies. None of those pony buddies are bunnies. Yep, or owls. They're rats, or and, and there's even a dog or a pet or a person. So the rats are not pets. They're actually, you know, colleagues. So humans, dogs, pets. Uh, sniff- oh, girlfriend, boyfriend. Well, you mean male friend, female friend, right? Yeah. Actually, that's a good question, Richard. Do you uh, do you uh, adhere to the uh, genre such that the vast majority are female? I never thought of it. Do they give birth that way? Is it like seven to one or something? Do they even give birth? I imagine they would. I mean, after all. If they were all, well, looking female, that means it would be um, not asexual. You could have like seven female and one male. I mean, if all you need the males for is reproduction. Nobody said that they're having babies. Nobody said that they're being made that way. I mean, what if this is like a Pacific Rim or or Robotech Master uh, Zentradi or something like that? What if what if these things are manufactured? Well, I mean, they are a very high tech culture, so yeah, they could just be decanted out of out of whatever. Uh, but my point w- uh, I was trying to get to was the is that horses. And, and most in the animal kingdom don't have trouble giving birth. Humans have like the worst trouble giving birth. We have more deaths as a result of giving birth than any other animal d- does. And generally speaking, they just drop out of the chute with no trouble at all. Well, yeah, it's because how our how because most animals are hunched over. We humans walk upright, so our pelvic bones have adapted. That's why birth is so painful for women because the pelvis is no longer because we know we walk up right now. That's why a lot of times you'll see natural childbirth where they're sort of squatted down and hunched over 
And mm-hmm. so it's easier for the baby to come out the birth canal. It's also because we got freaking big heads for big, well, for, yeah. for his, Right. But uh, in the case of uh, in the case of a human, the biggest issue is the pubic. Uh, one of the one of the pubic bones actually dissolves during birth so that the so that they actually can ex- the, the pelvis can extend out to let the baby out. So, right. Most animals are not like that. They, they actually are designed properly to allow the animals to, you know, the, their offspring to easily come out and, and be safely and uh, reliably born. So I'm just saying is that there's, there's no real reason for a, uh, a horse like animal like this to not carry a baby to term, you know, or a set of them because it's not really that big of a deal for them. I mean, they just keep going along as normal. And then every so often, oh, time to give birth. Boop. I mean, if you look at yeah, I'm looking at the, at the cover of the picture of the PDF, the hips is about as big as her head. So yeah, there's no problem for them to give birth. You know, uh, the, the kids, the kid, you know, the kids pretty much the size the size to fit. So yeah, if they if they do give birth in that you know natural birth, yeah. actually it brings a question because you know because this one campaign is fighting these suckers here you know on Earth. Year four. We go back and, and attack their home world. You got a sequel in mind there, Richard? <laughs> After a couple more projects. And, and, and so we should assume, therefore, because, you know, of the campaign, okay, in the first year, okay, basically humanity is totally destroyed. I mean, all, all of our tech, you know, our, our medical, our society, everything else is just whacked out. And, and, the, and we're, we're basically trying to scavenge. What, uh, scat, uh, what we can find. But by the year three, we should have co-opted enough of their technology uh, to actually start having, you know, power, you know, uh, hospitals that are operating. I mean, they may be underground. They may be hidden. But the point is, is that I think with the uh, tech, we, we should be able to start using their technology to the, to the point to be able to power our own needs. We would start to, you know, this, you'd get, you know, scientific enclaves trying to reverse engineer. Let's say we capture a pony or rather collect a corpse and take the, the force field generator off. You get enough reverse engineering going, you're going to start picking up on some things and trying to, you know, use that technology for your advantage. If not wearing the force field generator directly, then taking it apart and finding out what makes it tick and then applying it to other things. Cause I remember reading someplace and I was trying to find where I found it, uh, where they mentioned that we finally do get a hold of their, um, portal machines and start using them. That, that, that fact how is how we attack them back as we use their. Yeah. Year four. Yeah. We, we start grabbing their, off their bodies. We start taking, we get enough of them dead that we start collecting their, uh, not their portal machines. I'm sorry. Um, uh, their, uh, their fields, and we can start using them ourselves, uh, you know, against them. So, you know, we get parity on the battlefield, so to speak. Yeah. Now, R- Richard, are they true? Are they aliens, or are they from an alternate world, alternate dimension? There, there, okay. John. There's a fringe world, the Happy mm-hmm. Horse Meadows. It's in Portals Three. Uh, it would be page thirty-one in Portals Three. It's the Prime. Well, so, that may be more that 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 could be their home world. They could be coming from another alternate home world too. So you know. You well, 
We'll leave it up to the GMs to decide. Well, all I can say is is that if we bring the battle against them, we better be bringing you know a biological weapon because um, <clears throat> you know we're talking. I mean, we're, humanity has been pretty much you know eliminated. We're fighting back. We're making it un maybe you know not worth the fight anymore for them. But if we try to bring, you know, with our population as damaged as it is against their world, which is in perfectly good condition, <clears throat> if we try to do that, we're going to lose. So we, I'd say that probably if we're going to fight back against them, uh, we're probably going to be having to bring through some kind of a biological weapon. Yeah, no, you, or one no. thing that they would not use on us, and we would use on them, nukes. Yeah. I'm also looking at the fact that when we start looking at the pony resistance, um, four, four, no, two percent will, will be actually actively helping us, and another four percent would be, you know, not four percent, uh, what is that? That's um, five percent would at least wouldn't stop us because they'd be p- taking pity on us. But yeah, there are two percent, two percent of the ponies would turn around and you know wave the white flag and say, "You guys need some help." Yeah, but there's a big difference between people who are aiding people who are being oppressed like we are and people who are being racial traitors and allowing their home world to get attacked. That's true. I mean, we're talking some serious uh, uh, serious change of point of view at that point. This, this would probably be one of those people under the sociological things that got really abused by the ponies for having scars and things like that. It reminds me of 300, the, the, you know, the, the hunchback. Yeah, that or they fell in love with the horse, you know. I mean, the horse fell in love with a human? No, the murder po- Well, I'm thinking of Avatar as a great example of a, hu- of a human traitor. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking in this particular case, it would be a horse in love with a human. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong, wrong with that. Wrong with that. <laughs> But it's illegal in several states, however. Well, these are these are murder hoofs. These are not horses. Technically, they're they're animals in most under most jurisdictions. Only because we don't have any laws regarding sentients who are not human beings. They may be on the online of coming back and stopping the war, and basically, which means probably means overthrow the government uh, on the other side, overthrow who's in charge. Uh, I mean, this almost sounds. I mean, to be honest. The way the way this looks and sounds like it does sound a bit like the Pony Society. They're basically you have these basically it's, it's called them, nobles, people who've been in charge for you know years. It's more of a feudal society on their side, even though they have technology. It's a feudal society, and the per, the king or queen or whatever you want to call it on the other side is in charge. And if we can take that person down, we might be able to start stop this war. So I actually could see uh, a major event, a, adventure there uh, for for the for the characters. You could actually have the best of both worlds in this. Okay, you could start the game off with them being humans fighting against the ponies. But then you find that pony or a, a set of ponies who are decided that they don't want to do this anymore. And then those ponies basically become the leaders of the group and, and bring the group back against their own home world with, with you being the strike force now supporting the ponies in their bid for revolution. The Moral Project, the Rainbow War. Yeah. Now, 
if we do capture those poor, you know, if this is if this world, if this world here where they're they're attacking is on this, and they have portals, a portal machine, I can imagine Fringery going. We want to take that home with us. Yeah, because their portals are all locked down into the system. These are portals that actually work without having to be people being first worthy. This is a separate portaling system. So, uh, yeah, so- hey, I have a I have a question. So I'm looking at I'm you know looking at all these weapons against them and and we're talking about them you know mixing with fringeworthy and this is a systemless um plug-in correct mm-hmm. so you could play this with any game if you wanted to so there's a couple weapons I'm not seeing here and I wanted to get a little feedback on whether this uh, force field of theirs protect them against it uh what about laser beams lasers freaking lasers yeah <laughs> how's our force field do against lasers rich Ooh, didn't consider that. I would think because there's no kinetic energy, it's not like a bullet or anything. I Well, let's see. It's impervious against bullets and gas. Well, hold on. It does a rainbow effect, right? So if it's doing a rainbow effect, it could be that it's scattering light particles because the white light's coming in and it's scattering it into its rainbow colors. So maybe when a laser hits it, it scatters it. You get this brilliant rainbowy flash and nothing happens. Well, remember, they set a nuke off on these guys and it didn't work. Now, a nuke is concussive wave, but it also has a lot of high energy particles and heat and all those things. So this, like again, this as you said, this is kind of a uh, uh, you know Mary Sue device. You know, it protects you against everything. How was the nuke delivered? Was it was it an airstrike or did the, the the brave SWAT team Alpha go in and set it off in the midst in the midst of the? It would have to be an airstrike. So yeah, they may have realized what was coming, and they did the, the War of the Worlds Martians routine, which is turn turn up to eleven and just set it out. And that may, th- those things may have actually turned silver, you know, totally reflective, which is why they didn't get affected by the nuke. You know, it reflected everything at that point. So, I mean, that's one way of doing it. Like you said, Mary Sue uh, could also, you know. We can so assume yeah. they have sensors, and then as soon as the laser comes in, the, sy- the system would, uh, would lock it down harder. So, but a little bit would get in, though, right? Not necessarily. It could be as soon as it gets touched, it, it goes and, and reacts. Mm. Because this force field, by the way, we don't. We, he calls it a force field, but it could just as easily be a utility fog, where it's actually nanobots that are in a lattice, and anything that comes in has to pass through them, and even light itself would be hitting all these nanobots and, and diffracted and dispersed in such a way that you wouldn't be able to get any effective... And you know, and, and as soon as it hits, it would immediately they would send the it would propagate a uh, a signal to change. You know, the very uh, you know the very high energy of it might trigger a reaction. Yeah, because I'm thinking because the laser the, the the tactical laser is being developed by the Navy. The beam's about as thick as your thumb. You know, uh, but they were some of the earlier tests with chemical lasers. We're producing beams oh, in the megawatt range. Well, in in the low megawatt range, that were more like a box in shape, and then like about oh, like put your hands together, and make a box about that size. Oh wow! Uh, I still don't understand it. You put your hands together and make a box. You mean like your fingertips, the fingertips, the thumb, the thumb, and try to turn it into a rectangle? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's a pretty big area. That's what I was asking if it, if it was. Um, 
uh, you know, if it, if it let a little bit of the laser in or not, because that sucker, a little bit of laser gets in, you fry what's on your side of that, of that field. The rest gets bounced off. <laughs> the thing is, it doesn't matter what you do, okay? It's just whatever, whatever immunities you give them, later on when you start getting your hands on their tech, your side's going to have it too. Oh, as soon as you figure out how to do the interrupt... You know, actually, the shotguns do the interrupts. So I think you mentioned that if you use their shotguns, they go right. It's implied that their shotguns go right through their fields. That's the impl- implication I get. Yeah. So what else? What, so what else were you going to say there, Peter? I wasn't going to say anything. Oh, oh, what other, get- oh, I'm sorry. What are the? Okay, okay, right. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Okay. Other weapon. Um, okay. So uh, we know that Fringeworthy has magical things. So uh, magic missile. Force weapon, basically. Well, or is you say, are you asking if magic would work and not be defeated by this? Yeah, well, see, I, didn't, I didn't want to say a lightning bolt because that's electricity, which I'm assuming if it can stop, you know, a nuclear blast, it's it's able to stop electromagnetic stuff and uh, could possibly, you know, protect against a, uh, a lightning oh, bolt. A but so- magic is fantasy, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so is the game. So, yep, it could probably affect whatever's in you said it was a science fantasy, Richard. Yes. <laughs> but I'm saying like like uh like somebody's going to try to use magic. So, yep, probably a little work. I mean, it would have to come from outside. It would have to literally have to be, you know, like say the fringe explorers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. You know, fringe explorer comes in, they've got magic. Even if the magic disappears on that world, they've got it for a very short period of time. You know, he casts power word death on a, on one of the ponies. Does it work? I would think so. Okay. Then the pony's buddy shoots the wizard. Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah, but I, I imagine that they actually have the they have what's called Superman is also uh, uh, not immune to magic. So yeah, you can, you can mind you can mind control him. You could probably hurt him with, with magic. In fact, he's, it's happened many times. One, of, it's one of his big um, weaknesses is to magic. Yeah, which is why he takes him out first when he spots them. <laughs> Yeah, and psychics. Psionics is also yeah. one. Of the I, there's too. another one. What about psionics in the pony fieldy thingy? It, it might work, but again, it's one of those things where you know how many psychics, how many mages do you have? Gotcha, gotcha. In other words, it's like I'm yeah. controlling the pony. Pow! Oh man, they just blew uh, Bob's head off. They they decide that 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 uh, uh, you know that uh, prancing. Uh, a sparkly uh, death kicker uh, doesn't actually need to come back to Pony World, <laughs> which co- which covers something that Fringe they can do. Which is if you have if there's a warp or a gate near a Pony concentration, you could try the the, um, the, the, the crystal power of you know mind mind swap and well, take that, over one of them. And that takes me to my last my last thought on attacks on them would be the. The laser from the uh, crystal, a crystal laser. Now, is that just a laser or is that a special kind of laser? Well, it doesn't affect living tissue. Oh, so it's a different kind of laser. Could you use it to fire through the force field and destroy whatever that device is that gives them the force field? Richard, what do you think? If it's a device, you could destroy it. Nice. Uh, You could probably use it on things the pony is carrying. Ah, yeah, okay. Uh, Packs, armor, whatever. A shotgun. And, of course, as this, this is a Mary Sue device, when you hit this thing that's producing this prodigious uh, field around them, it just 
futzes out, it doesn't explode like an atom bomb. Mm. Yeah. Because <laughs> as John has mentioned many, many times, that any kind of power source, you know, that, that can do what all, what we want, you know, lasers to do and stuff like that, would, would, has enough power inside of it to go off like a serious nuclear weapon. Uh, seeing what this force field does, it would be one ton kiloton nuke. Ah, Piker. Uh, <laughs> it would be, it'd probably be at least in the hundred kiloton range. Right. So of course it doesn't do that at all. It's, it's, it's a zero point energy module. It just produces the energy. It sucks it from somewhere and then it, uh, and it gets used. And if you destroy it, not, there's no, don't, there's no, there's no storage. It just produces it as needed. For those of you playing Star Trek, shoot the weapon because they've demonstrated those things have it will have a detonation range that take out the entire other side. Yeah, especially if you put them into overload. Michio Kaku, he, he, he when he developed, uh, he he postulated how to make a uh, lightsaber with, with with possible technologies, and yes, he had a storage medium that basically was up in the megawatt range. Mm. In your hand, nice. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it, it, it'd be a it, basically. It would be like one of those uh, toys lightsabers. You have this, have this graphene pole come out, and then be coated in plasma, and you can use to cut through things. Yes, I'm sure they're all powered by purified polonium. Well, we should probably think about some uh, possible scenarios in the various eras, I guess. So uh, either for Fringeway or for the pe- poor, poor so so and sos stuck in this world. You know? So what would it so what would be some, uh, what would be a good uh, year? You know, six months. The first six months scenario we could, we could someone set up. Well, the first one I can think of would be uh, the Alamo. Mm-hmm. All right, you, you're basically you've got some people you you hunkered up inside of some place, and the ponies are assaulting it, and you have to. You know, hold on long enough for people to escape, maybe through the sewers, because ponies ain't going down into the sewers. You know, they might send bunnies and rats down there, but those don't appear until later in the campaign. So that means that in the early campaign, if you're being assaulted by, you know, ponies, you could escape down into the sewers and get away. So that could be you're basically doing a holding action. You just have to hold on long enough for your people to escape. And then either you die, you know, gloriously as they come crashing through or, you know, you manage to get away yourself. So it just depends on the the, the uh, wind conditions of the scenario. And that sort of goes to year year one as well, because you know. Though I, I, I do have this question, because it says humanity is beginning to organize and strike back with little success. So there is some success; it's not very much of it. Uh, pony patrols have vanished, and operations have moved to daylight. What? <laughs> what does that mean, Richard? <laughs> It means that they're not doing nights. There's, there's probably a word missing there. I think what he's saying is that um, you know, the, the, in the early days, the only way humanity can succeed at doing anything is to move around at night. Because you know, I mean, I mean, we're assuming that the ponies don't have see in the dark vision. So you know, in the daytime, we it, you know they they see us, they chase us down, they kill us. But at night, we have a chance of going out possibly making attacks against the ponies, you know, and then retreating to a safe place before they can react. But 
after a certain period of time, our, our tactics become effective enough that we can actually bring the uh, fight to them in the daylight. Yeah, and the ponies are doing the reorg thing. Thinking, okay, there's the, we actually lost a couple patrols and we lost one battle group. We need to figure out what, what we're doing wrong and, and, and try something different. And that's where year two comes up. But, but you're jumping too far ahead, John, because yeah, yeah. one of the early things that you're going to do is you're going to be capturing ponies. Oh, okay. So you need to, you know, capture them, get your hands, so you know, get your hands on some technology, be able to try to make it work yourself. Maybe do some vivisection on some ponies. Uh, you know, I mean, it, war is war. Wait a minute, we need Daniel from Fear the Walking Dead. He'll get the information out of him. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I just saw something. It says not all ponies fly. A good old tiger trap with punchy sticks would work against them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, and these ponies are flying, and they don't have wings big enough to fly. So uh, we're going to have to figure out how they're able to fly. I mean, do they also have any gravity device that works with that? I would say probably a telekinetic ability. What do you think, Richard? Oh, probably some kind of a latent telekinetic ability or something built into the wings. Maybe they can force the wing growth. Suddenly produce 40, 50-foot-wide wings and actually fly away? Uh, no, no, you need tiny wings. Probably something to do with uh, lightning crystals. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, do you mean lightning crystals or lightning crystals, Richard? <laughs> oh, uh, see Hardwired Hinterlands. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, they're from oh, Hardwired Hinterlands. Oh. That means there's an Inveron with these things. Yes, there is. <laughs> Great. Oh, yeah, they... There would be one, yeah. It's, it's they, they come from where they had the successful invasion and taken over the Earth. <laughs> I'm sure the ponies would create a honey pot around like a a, a hospital, and uh, and therefore you know the, you'd have these human groups trying to get to the hospital to get the medical supplies, and then getting ambushed by the ponies and having to get away with as many medical supplies as they could, losing uh, an obscene number of their their people. But that's going to be part of what a campaign would be like. You have lots of NPCs, red shirts to lose during that that battle and such. I can actually see him doing, uh, part of year one is uh, several black ops missions where the, basically the operation is to not to actually kill any ponies, but to actually get information. So, yeah, that nighttime, you know, you're, you're infiltrating a pony camp and trying to find out what the heck is going on and, and, and maybe leave behind one or two little surprises for them if, if possible, but, but it's more of an information gathering so you can gauge the str- Gave strength and, and numbers. So you'd want a totally stealth mission where the whole purpose of the mission was not to be seen, not to be detected, not to kill anybody, just to move in there quietly. And that might be where you'd find out about uh, about the uh, owls and the rats. You know, you might see them talking to some rats. Uh, and realize that there's some intelligent rats also running around, and maybe now when you start seeing rats in the in in the in the ruins, it's you, you can't just you know assume that they're just regular rats. And as and as an advice to a GM, don't reduce it to a bunch of stealth rolls. Make them role play out what they're doing, and only do those stealth rolls when they when they are really absolutely needed. 
you know, otherwise they're, you know, you assume they're professionals, they know what they're doing and they can probably get into the camp. It's when it's trying to move, move within the camp that that's when you need to worry about the stealth rolls at that point. What I do is that I have them basically give me a plan. If they can, if they can describe to me a reasonable plan where they're not going to get detected, then, you know, you know, you might roll a, a, a couple of complications, but other than that, it's going to succeed because otherwise it's no fun. Mm-hmm. But they do have to d- design their plan of attack. They have to design how they're going to do this and avoid sensors or overload sensors and all these kinds of things, you know. And, and, and of course, one of them blows his stealth roll and is sitting there crawling, you know, low crawling through some brush and stops because he's face to face with a rat. Who goes? Hi there. Who are you? He goes. He goes. Who? Who? Dirty rat. Uh, who? Dirty rats. There are two kinds of rats: big rats and dirty rats. But you are a big dirty rat. <laughs> I love that. That's so good, Trav. Thank you. <laughs> Those of you who don't know what I'm re- what we're referring to, go see the movie. It's excellent. <laughs> well, what what movie would that be? Well, it's it's got Edgar, Edgar G. Robinson in it, so it's probably. Uh, I thought it was James Cagney that did that. That's James Cagney. James Cagney. That's, that's James Cagney. Oh, it's James Cagney. That's right. Not Edgar G. Robinson. Then I don't know which one it was. Then. If you type into Google "you dirty rat," it'll come up. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple <laughs> times. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some stuff we can do in the early, the middle campaign. So what would we do? Um, so, you know, during the third third campaign, they're starting to take back, you know, certain areas. They're actually creating, um, and, and again, because these people are eco-friendly, they have rules against doing certain things that would, like they were not going to nuke us because uh, that's, that would be evil and terrible, and we're the evil, terrible ones. That's why they're coming to destroy us. And terraform Earth, because that's what happens in year two. They start terraforming the Earth, the Earth back to where, back to what nature, or what? Back to a natural environment. So, like what's happening to Detroit? Yeah. Only faster. Yeah. Yeah, Well, if you get rid of the people, it happens a lot faster. That's happening naturally here. So what you want to do is you want to go ahead and uh, check out the series After Man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That was on the Discovery Channel. It basically talked about how various major cities would change after a period of 100 years. Well, with a little help, it could happen probably a lot faster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, they're terraforming Pittsburgh. So you can imagine you get to the core of Pittsburgh and you're going, this used to be an iron foundry. This is now a meadow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things like that. Yeah, and, and you could have things that like the nanobots that basically start, you know, start disassembling anything that's made out of metal. You know, just like they did in um, uh, G.I. Joe. Be afraid of, you know, be aware of, 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 of people walking around in rotting uh, pony costumes, uh, you know, carrying carrying something. Because they're probably suicide bombers. Yeah. That's true. <sighs> That's true. Because they're not, their costumes are probably not going to look very pony-ish after a, after a couple of years. Yeah, they're going to be all ripped and torn and smudged and dirty and, you know. 
Yeah, much like most of the stuff you're wearing. Yeah. Have these remnants of these pony heads on top of their heads, you know, being worn more like hats than than an actual, you know, costume head. You know? It's not it's not like falling skies where, you know, no matter how far into the apocalypse it is, all your clothing still is nicely stitched up and repaired. No. No more than the you know, the, the Howells had a complete set of clothing for any occasion on Gilligan's Island either. Yeah. But, well, that that actually made sense. I mean, they they went with their steamer. They, they had two steamer trunks, one full of money and the other one full of uh, you know various things. Because they, yes, you're right. They couldn't go anywhere without be having you know a change of clothes. Yeah. So the year two is where is when the owls and the bunnies and the rats really come into play. And I can imagine the first attack. Actually, that'd be one scenario. If you've been playing, if you're playing this for a while, and that's when you introduce the um, the bunnies and the owls with rats as with rats as spotters. You know, the rats are sitting around, and all of a sudden you see these owls, and the and the and the NPC red shirts in front of you look at them going, owls? What are you? It's carrying a rabbit. The rabbit drops, you hear a squee, and it hits the ground, and kadoosh. Or it hits the ground and starts running yeah. toward the nearest warm body it can find that's not, you know, that's not itself. Right. Right. Well, you should also uh, take advantage of the fact that there's many, many different environments. You know, you could do your cold, cold weather, uh, uh, you know, adventure. You could do your hot, your your Pacific Island type adventure. You know, um, the uh, I mean, imagine you know if you've seen the, the the video game Dead Island, someplace like a resort. Suddenly, the ponies are there, and 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 bad things are happening. Or, or the flooded ruins of New, Orle- New Orleans. You know, they breached the dikes and let the sea come in. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea if you're trying to do that sort of thing. I mean, if the power goes off, the water's going to come in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the pumps aren't working anymore. Oh, yeah. And if they breach the dikes, then definitely the Mississippi comes on in. Right. And that happens in Chicago as well because, you know, that's, they, they you know, they're, they're, they're basically, they, they pumped water to make the, uh, uh, to make the water flow from Chicago to out to the lake, it's going to start flowing the opposite direction. In Detroit, when we had the torrential rainstorm, everybody got four feet of water in their basement except me. Well, of course, you know, Richard, they, they show up in Detroit, they look around and go, our work here is done, and leave. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also Flint and Fort Huron. Mm-hmm. And finally, I... Yeah. How about the folks at Mackinac Island? They, I don't. They're not really. In, they're, they're not. They're not self-sufficient. I mean, they really depend on the no. on the mainland for to live out there, and power and other things. Well, you know, it's it's very nice out at Mackinac Island. I mean, it's 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 got a lot of stuff there, and they are very very well equipped, you know, uh, and very well supplied because it's a resort. So. Uh, so depending upon when this happens, you know, whether it happens in the spring or the winter or whatever, you know, Mackinac Island could be all, you know, shuttered at that point, And it could be a really great place to fall back to. Yeah. And then the same thing out here with the, with the San Juans, the San Juan Islands, they allow them. Uh, at one time they used to be self-sufficient, but these days they're actually homeless to very rich people. So uh, the, the term self-sufficient sort of, goes away unless Chris is survivalist. The homes like that are self-sufficient. 
John, uh, I'm glad you mentioned survivalists because you know we we act as if the only thing we have to worry about is the ponies. Every survivalist crazy group, okay, is going to be out there saying, "Okay, we're ready, we're prepared," and you know they're going to be uh, causing you know problems for the the the, the non survivalist humans just as much as the ponies are. I mean, it's quite possible that some of them are going to go and uh, form alliances with the ponies. You know, you, you know, kind of like you give us immunity and we're your, you know, we're your buddies. Well, I'm, I'm seeing it pony psychology. Ponies hate humanity. They have no use for us in any way, shape, or form. I don't, I don't see that happening. What I can see, though, is that they go, well, the world's ending, so we might as well get, get our licks in and go after the folks that they hate. So, yeah, it's possible, too. And remember, they're very well equipped. So we talked about that Alamo situation. That could be where it's a survivalist group that is actually holding off the ponies because they are just so well equipped. But eventually they're, you know, they're going to fall because no matter how well they're equipped they are, they ult- sooner or later they're going to run out of stuff. Yeah. Now, it looks like between year two and year three, we take back Pittsburgh. Because Pittsburgh now is a stronghold. Is it a human stronghold or is it a pony stronghold? Because it's not clear here. Well, if they're terraforming Pittsburgh and then it says it's been turned to a stronghold and then surrounding them are heavy military enclaves, I see that as Pittsburgh and Chicago are ponyvilles and the humans Mm -hmm. are just surrounding them with military hardware. Okay, and interesting enough, they're not making use of their portals in. It sounds like their portals are only open in certain places, and then that's it. Because obviously, if you have a portal, you can open up anywhere. That's a tactical advantage. You should be able, you know, you can get behind your enemy just by opening a portal up and popping out. Initially, yes, I agree, John. Okay, but when they describe, you know, the heavy equipment group, they say they're the ones that can open portals. So I think that once, you know, if you want to target a portal on the planet, you actually have to have people go there and set up some kind of a beacon for the portal to come to that exact location. Otherwise, I think they were just pretty much randomly put all over the planet when they decided for us to decide to attack us in the first place. Okay. I mean, we got to give them some di- some di- di- disadvantages here, John, right? Or the humans just can't fight against them at all. This is similar to a problem in the, that should happen in, in the Star Trek universe where ships can appear out anywhere, anywhere, any place, any time. How do you defend against that? The best thing you could do is just make subspace just rotten all around you so they just can't do it. <laughs> you know, they can't, you, know, you have to stay, you know, they have to drop out of warp or they just, I don't know, it's like hitting, hitting uh, choppy water and just tear themselves up. Also, years three when is when you start rolling those resistances, the, the resistance for ponies, you know, the, the various resistance quirks. Because this is when they start questioning the war and realizing humanity is a tougher nut to, to crack than expected. And maybe they successfully managed to terraform. I mean, they reduced the human population enormously. They're starting, they've been terraforming for a year and probably been pretty effective at it. So now they're like saying, why do we have to totally eliminate the humans? I mean, we're, they should now be in balance now. We, we've done our job. Well, it's time to go home, guys. With this whole like slaughter them to the last, you know, two legged, that's, that's just not necessary. You know, again, you know, most you have a military campaign, 
But if your if your military campaign is oriented, it's supposed to be being done on a uh, moral basis. You know, we are taking the Earth because they're destroying their planet and killing thousands of species every hour. We have to stop them. And you're, you're basically coming in at the moral high ground. Then once you've knocked them back sufficiently, then there's going to be people who start saying, you know, enough is enough. You know, we don't need to chase them down to the very last one. Interesting enough, I'm looking at the Humanity Strikes Back section. I realized something. If we, as soon as we get these uh, sparkle fields, these rainbow fields that make you know that make them look like pretty ponies, uh, would be we. I would imagine we'd be able to learn to reprogram this. We look like murder hoofs. Could be <laughs> inside those fields. Use their camouflage against them. Yep. Yeah. Especially if you're going to their home world. Then they have a hard time spotting where the humans are until somebody realizes there's a rainbow field. Why you got a rainbow field up? Bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Well, it says they're also using the pony sparkle cutting shotguns against their makers and learning to fight. So, yeah, Yeah. they learn to use their weapons after a while. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the the, the shotguns are the things they actually. Yeah, as Richard said, they interrupt the, the they interrupt the uh, the this force field. So yeah, they can use this, the, the shotguns. As, as soon as you get a handful of shotguns and 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 the ammunition, because I bet do they use special ammunition, Richard? Never even thought of it. Hmm. Hmm. Something to consider. Yeah, same for the GMs to consider. Yeah, if it's if you use any 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 old shotgun ammunition. So yeah, you gotta put some cardboard around the, the shell, make it fit in the bore, and fit in the fit in the in the choke. You know that you know yeah you can use you can use that double lot double lot six stuff on, on those ponies now. <laughs> well, if if the cutting ability is coming from the weapon and not from the ammo itself, yeah, yeah. If it is coming from the ammo, then you might not even need their weapons; you just need their ammo. Mm. Now there's a mission right there. Is getting a hold of is getting a hold of a load of their ammo because you know what you know. I, I I have a drill press. I can rebore my shotgun to take the new rounds. <laughs> you know that's that's not that's not a problem. <laughs> you know, and maybe uh, you could have a specialized group that's actually aerial. You know, a strike group that goes against the flying ponies because as long as they've got the uh, airborne uh, advantage. Uh, you know, as I said, every time you try to do something that's effective, most of them are just going to fly away. Yeah. You know, and, and of course, once they fly outside of, of of your gun range, then they just turn around and start firing down at you, and there's nothing you can do. You know, unless you know, unless you're re- you really have all that ammo you were talking about. If they're well, if they're well armed, and if they start being able to be armored or whatever, I'm just. I just saw a way of catching a whole lot of ponies, and it comes from an old movie called Doc Tari. And the television show. Doc. And the television show. But yeah. Yeah, when they fire the rocket and carry the nets over the monkeys, I can imagine, you know, getting a little bit bigger rockets, getting the game, making sure they curve the right direction, and with a heavy weighted net, you go over a pony encampment and you catch them underneath like a steel net. I think that's great. I just wonder if that's a little bit of movie magic. No, they do that with catching birds. That was a that was a practical effect, but they did that actually worked. Are you sure? Yes, that was a practical effect. They actually now understand they did it a dozen times for the dang thing worked, but it was a practical effect. 
Okay, be, be, because you know the the, the jet powered uh, uh, submarine, uh, you know, uh, thing that they that James Bond used in uh, Thunderball was actually pulled around by cable. Yes, that didn't actually work. <laughs> well, now you got me thinking. I thought I always thought it was a practical effect. Um, yeah, but you know what? It doesn't matter. It, it's a it's a fantasy game. You know, yeah, it works. It works. And if you make them out of metal, you hook them up to the generators and turn on the power. <laughs> Get, have a little bit of cooked pony. Yeah. Get some uh, some pony steaks. There we go. Popular brand. Richard, are they good eating? Somebody roll me a die one hundred. Ooh. Uh, you got it, John. Yeah. yeah, I got. There you go. Ninety nine. Uh, Oh, they are wonderful, and the French will fight for them. <laughs> that was good eating. It's the sweetest meat you ever had in your life. You know, you do know they've been eating people, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's probably that probably isn't such a good thing. We're we're terrible to eat. We got all kind. We're the top of the food chain. We got all the poisons in us. Actually, it does sound like something we would start working on, too, is I would call it the Martian, the Martian solution, which is you start developing bioweapons. Unless you've got the, uh, the, the murder hoods, um, quizlings, uh, to, uh, help you, um, they're, you, the only way of actually effectively attacking them on their home planet is to use some kind of a bioweapon. And actually, the best way of doing it is actually capturing one of them alive. Because you know what? He's probably lousy with stuff you can you can modify in the lab and grow and use as weapons against him back home. And it's, you, and you know it's compatible. Yeah. Weaponized E. coli. <laughs> okay. That's a bad idea. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, probably because it'll mutate and it'll kill us all. <laughs> We're already, de- you know, more than decimated. Or, or, or weaponized, weaponized pony E. coli. But still, you're right. Yeah. You can probably yeah. mutate. There's, there's got to be a pony disease that's only ponies. I mean, you know, let's find some bacteria that doesn't exist on Earth. Yeah, some horse-based disease that we could weaponize. I can give you one right now. Which is equine encephalitis. Oh. <laughs> that sounds painful. Yeah, and I, 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 does anthrax affect horses? Yes. Yeah, and we're pretty good at weaponizing anthrax. But that also kills us. Yeah, we could be major jerks with that, and after a while they'll be like, we didn't think they'd be that mean. Okay, we're sorry, we're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You're playing with naked monkeys. You know, we we could also kill them with rabies. You know, but and 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 rabies is actually a pretty good one because it's not easily transmitted. So well, you know, you can inject them with it and and uh, or use some other means of getting it into their bodies and not affect the humans. Yeah, you coat coat the melee weapons with it. Coat the swords and the knives that you use to get close. Yeah, punji punji sticks. Yeah, that that's what I mean. Just get in there and. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be a dirty, dirty war. <laughs> oh, no, no. we that, That's a given. We're fighting for survival, man. We, we can't afford to take the high ground. Yeah, at this point, it's anything goes. They're fighting naked monkeys. We'll throw poo if we have to. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a lot of that, too, historically speaking. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, thanks, Richard, for helping us through this 
this crazy new uh, uh, concept book you have here. Um, I hope some people will take this idea and run with it, canter and uh, and prance with it, and 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 tell us all all the things that we did wrong, and uh, especially post about it on uh, our Facebook pages and our. Uh, Google Plus pages and uh, groups and even uh, and also the TriTag Games forums and all the various places they are. So uh, we'd love to hear how people are using this, what game systems they thought really worked best with it, and uh, what kind of campaigns they decided to do. So we look forward to hearing all that from you guys because you know we're uh, if you tell us you know the things you're doing and how you're making it awesome, we'll work to make it even more awesome. And we'll have more for you, uh, but not about the ponies. <laughs> and that'll be next week. So until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game. Hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, We'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.